So tell me how we know each other. For the record. <laughs> um, we went to school together. We went to middle school and high school together. And um, we met in the sixth grade. But I was way too cool for you. What? I didn't, uh, yeah, I didn't... I didn't... Uh, I didn't fully appreciate how special you were. But my mother saw it. <laughs> my mother said... Hey, Kathleen, you should be friends with Lizzie Peabody. She seems like a nice girl. And I was like, oh, God, oh. Lizzie oh. Peabody. Blech. I don't know. Why, why did you say bleh? I don't know. Why wasn't cool? I just remember your rolly suitcase and your overalls. Okay, first of all, it wasn't a suitcase. It was a backpack. <laughs> your rolly backpack. <laughs> And, and your second overalls. of all, look what look what's back in fashion yes, right now. Yes, overalls are back. I was ahead of the times. <laughs> We're just way behind. <laughs> but it was still worth it to be friends with me. It wasn't. Yeah. Was it like social? Was it social suicide to become friends with me? No. Okay. Everybody liked you. Like you weren't disliked. Okay. Good. Yeah. But you were just like really good at school, and. I mean, you were the kind of person who would like, like, excuse me, teacher, you gave me ten points more than I was supposed to earn on this test. <laughs> okay. So, this is interesting, Kathleen. I've never heard oh, this reflected back on me. <laughs> well, and I think that I, I quickly, or not quickly, I slowly <laughs> realized, I, I saw what my mom saw, which was, you're just a solid person. You may not have been the coolest, but you were really fun to be around. And smart, but not in a way that was arrogant. Um, how did this turn into like a compliment, <laughs> Lizzie session? I don't know. But is this, this is how the, all of your interviews go? This is the greatest go? interview I've done yet. <laughs> you mind telling me your name? Yeah, sure. My name is Becky Harlan. Michael Kroger, recreational hockey player, lawyer, <laughs> Chicago, Illinois. My name is Vernon Draper. Jamel Winston. I'm Jay Dev. Gina Christina Simo. Christian Glasset. Wait, actually, my yeah. name is William Hebert. All right, who are you? Who am I? <laughs> That's a damn good question. <laughs> I am a friend of yours. I am a computer scientist from France. I'm a human being. I'm also a gambler. I'm your mother. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just everything that's good. Mixed with a little bang. I'm everything that's good. Mixed with some bang. And I'm Lizzie Peabody. This is Your Story Here, a podcast about humans and the common threads that bind us. I first started interviewing strangers after a couple of decades of being told not to talk to them. This show is about sharing some of the conversations that I've had. Now they're yours too. Every now and then, a moment will come along in life when someone will say something that just takes you completely off guard and makes you think, wow. That's how people see me. This moment that you just heard is one of those that happened to be captured on tape. I guess in retrospect it shouldn't have been as surprising to me as it was, given that everything Kathleen said about me, the overalls and the rolly backpack, that was entirely true, and she could have added some further damning evidence like my L.L. Bean clogs and my leggings and the fact that I like to eat lunch in teachers' classrooms so that I could hang out and talk with them. So I really shouldn't have been quite as surprised as I was, although in middle school, I guess I, I never thought I was cool, but I guess I thought that I... 
I didn't think I was uncool. I thought that on the cool spectrum, if there's very cool and very uncool, I was directly in the middle, like neutral cool. Like I just opted out of the whole cool spectrum, but I guess you don't really have that choice in middle school. The difficulty with these revelations is that they have the potential to throw into doubt other things that you believe about yourself. Or in my case, it made me wonder, am I actually cool at all? Have I since gotten any cooler? As a touchstone, I decided to check in and call up the coolest person I know. Hello? My little brother. Hey. Hey, why are you calling us no-caller ID? Um, I had to call you from Skype. Um, why? Because I'm recording you. Oh, what are you recording me for? Um, I just had one question for you. You ready? Sure. Am I cool? Not really. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> well, I mean, you're not particularly stylish. You're really white. The cello. Strangers? You work with children. Uh, you don't make a lot of money. Put a Honda Accord. <laughs> Ouch! Is there anything about me that is cool? Mm, not really. <laughs> no, I think your personality is very cool, Lizzie. Thanks, Tom. <laughs> this has been not at all reassuring. <laughs> so what's going on? How are you? I'm doing fine. I'm... Well, there you have it. I guess some questions are better left unasked. But enough about me. Today's episode features stories about identity. And the relationship between the way that we think of ourselves and the way that the world sees us, which don't always match up. Like, I, I will never forget almost bursting into tears at the cafeteria at William & Mary because there was this lady who she was just like, okay, you know, I was looking at the sandwiches. I'm like, oh, what's a BLT? And she's like, you don't know what a BLT is? And she, like, was going on. And I'm like, I don't know what a BLT is. Like... So I had so many, I had so many culture gap moments. I have so had so many ways in which I walked into a room and I appeared like I was American. I sounded like I was American, but there were so many things that I didn't get because I, I didn't grow up here. So tell me a little bit about your growing up. I was born in Liberia to Sierra Leonean parents. And then I moved to Nigeria when I was six. And I lived in Nigeria from when I was six to 18. Um, and what language did you speak with your parents? Um, English and Creole. So, um, yeah, at, you know, at home. Um, yeah. And then how did you wind up in the U.S.? Everybody went to school in the U.S. If you could, it was sort of like that's what most people did. They came to, to college in the U.S. Was it hard to be far from your family your freshman year? Or were you so used to it by then, having lived... School. It was different because I, I mean, I'd been away from them for a long time, but I was in a place that felt like home, right? Mm -hmm. So I, it was like I'd been at that boarding school for six, seven years, you know, like since I was 11, like 11 to 18. So it was a different type of home, you know, feeling homesick because it was like, I'm still away from home, but now I'm in the U.S. And what's difficult about being in the U.S. as an African and also an African who sounds the way that I do 
which is interesting because they told us this before we graduated. You look like you belong. You look like you should fit in, but you don't. So it was, it was, there would be some very sort of interesting moments of, you know, suddenly someone turning around looking at me like, how did you miss that in your whole educational experience of what it is to be an American? And I'm like, actually, I'm not. <laughs> so what were some other examples of those moments? Do you remember um, any others? It was like a lot of it was come and a lot of it was not knowing a lot about African-American history. So I really was really excited. I, my freshman year, I took African-American African-American theater history. And it was like a, this freshman seminar. It was a really small class. And it was so eye-opening for me. Because I think I was really much more naive about race. Obviously, as an, you know, as an African living in Africa, you know. And even now, I still don't fully feel like I understand the African-American experience. But I understand it so, so much better than when I first came. There was a lot that I had consumed in media before coming to the U.S. that I did not realize was racist. It's like these black and white cartoons where like they had black people depicted, but they looked like animals to me. And then she's like, no, those are supposed to be black people. I'm like, you're kidding. These are supposed to depict black people. But then, and then to sort of suddenly your eye, like all the stuff fall away from your eyes and just to be like, are you kidding me? So filling in the gap between, because I think that a lot of, I think a lot of Africans understand slavery and then civil rights movement. But things that happen in Reconstruction, Jim Crow, and a lot of other stuff that, that happened between slavery and, you know, just poop, the Martin Luther King and, and <laughs> Mal, uh, Malcolm X at the civil rights movement, we uh-huh. miss. Like, we have, like, no idea. Um, but, but learning about all the other things that, that are very much a part of, of the history and and hidden even in America, but definitely definitely hidden for anyone who is not who is not living here and and going to school here or anything like that. Did the fact that you that your experience was so different make it hard for you harder for you to be friends with African Americans? Um, at William and Mary, yeah. I think I got, I, my closest, I didn't really make really close African-American friends until grad school when I went up mm-hmm. to, to New York. Most of my friends were international, were like either other Africans or other international students, people, or even, even Americans who had that international, um, experience. Just because I was not, you know, I was experiencing America from the outside and not from the inside out. If I went back now, I probably would have more. Hmm. What's changed? I just think I know more. I, I, I don't know what it would be. I, I just think it's just as a function of sitting in something for a while. You just sort of like adapt mm-hmm. a little bit better. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm American now, so it's like, how do I enter into this American-ness and, um, as, a, as an African immigrant? But then also as a you know as an African immigrant who is also part of like the black story within America and like where do I you know fit in with that and just sort of like get in where you fit in type of thing. Yeah, Afghanistan. It's sad because it's been in war forever. There, there are so many problems there that sometimes people come and say, say, 
why are things like that in Afghanistan? And I'm like, why are you asking me this question? Because there's like five books that I have to explain to you in order to, for you to understand. Right. And the simple answer is that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's really sad because there are, right now there are so many, I'm just sometimes summarizing for people, I'm saying that, imagine there's a tornado for 10 minutes in a city. How long does it take to rebuild that city? Probably a decade. Mm -hmm. for 10 minutes of tornado. Now there has been tornado kind of situation in Afghanistan for the past 35 years. Mm. I moved here in 2007. Mm. Yeah. I came on a scholarship. To go to college? Yeah. In, in France? France? No, in here. Oh really? You had four French roommates in the States? Yeah, I, I lived in Iowa, in Des Moines, oh my God. which is a French, another <laughs> French place. Um, yeah, I lived there for four years. And the house that I used to live was French house. They call it French house because the owner was a French guy who was uh, leasing um, the rooms for all French exchange students. And yeah, they were always living in the same house. I was the only person who was non-French. And I have so many funny memories because the first <laughs> night they picked me from the airport and they thought I'm American because it was their first time too. One of my roommates, he was from Clermont-Ferrand, he was like, oh, it's my first flight in my life. I was like, oh, okay. And their English was not even as good as mine. And then we went home, and they were like, so we are so happy. Where did you come from? I said, oh, I came from Boston. They thought I'm from Boston, because I was studying in Boston University for two months. There was something called pre-academic studies. And they were like, oh, okay. And then the next guy comes the next day, so we all go to pick him up. And it's like, oh, I'm Esmeray, and blah, blah. And it's like, oh, your, your name is kind of, you know, a little bit different. And so here is another cultural conflict here, because in Afghanistan, we wear all tight jeans and tight shirts. And in the U.S. and Europe, apparently, homosexuals or gays, they are wearing those, and straight people just wear baggy things. <laughs> and this guy, my roommate, is gay, and he thinks that I am also gay. And he starts, you know, being nice to me, and I, in a in a way that I kind of feel like, you know, it, you're invaded a little bit. And he's like, "Oh, I'm gonna buy you this," and and then two days later, he was like, "By the way, where are you from?" I said, "I'm from Afghanistan," and we were sitting on the table. These people freaked out, and I could see on their face, one of them, their face turned red. It was shocking for them because they have never had a student from Afghanistan, of course, in the middle of Iowa, nowhere. And one of them like. He went, and he told me later on that what he did, he went upstairs and called his grandma in France that there's this guy from Afghanistan, I don't know what to do. And his grandma called the university. Oh my God. Are you guys sure it's safe for my kid to live with someone who came from Afghanistan? We know that, you know, he might be a student, but at the same time, we're worried about safety of our kid. So they were like, yeah, don't be ridiculous. It's <laughs> like that. This guy, he, he got a Fulbright. I came through Fulbright. Mm -hmm. That it's the United States government sponsored him to come here and study. So and then later on, we became, of course, friends. And every year, then French students would come, and then first thing I would tell them at the airport was like, okay, I'm from Afghanistan. If you're gonna freak out, freak out right now. <laughs> I don't want to deal with your grandma or someone later. On. <laughs> Did you change the way that you dressed at all? Because Well, later on I had to kind of wear a little bit looser <laughs> things because I was kind of bothered. I was asked a couple of times and then I had to start dating a girl because then they were like, you know, that's the only way to get rid of 
Perception. All the men. Exactly. Uh. And here are, the, here are the other cultural things, that in Afghanistan, we don't hang out with girls. Uh-huh. So I never had a party with a girl or any girls around. It's always guys hanging out together. And when guys are hanging out together, it's like girls hanging out together. You know, like, hey, how are you? Mm-hmm. Holding each other's hands and, mm-hmm. you know, holding mm-hmm. each other on the street and walking. Really? And holding totally hands normal. on the street? Yes. But it's not the same perception on here. And here, if a guy holds another guy's hand, that means they are partners. Yes. In Afghanistan, you hold your cousin's hand and you walk on the street. Because it, the perception of being gay, or this, these things don't exist there. Even if there is someone who is gay, because it's a taboo thing in Islamic countries, they never reveal in their life that I'm gay. There are a lot of cultural things, and, and here's a funny thing. You get all these culture shocks here, and then you get used to it. Then you go back to your country, then you get reverse culture shock. Then you are expecting over there, then when I went there and my friends were like, oh, come on, let me give you a kiss, or she kiss you on the cheeks, you feel like, ah, oh, don't touch me. <laughs> What the heck are you doing? Pull your hand away from my shoulder. And they're like, what's wrong with you? I mean, you can get terribly homesick. I mean, you must have gotten... Oh, probably... yeah, trust me. I never cried in my life before coming to the United States, but sometimes you have to. You just because... had to curl up and cry. Yeah, because I was a little kid that whenever, you know, babies, they cry. And my dad was like, men never cry. Mm-hmm. You only cry when your mom or your dad dies. Other than that, you never cry. And that, you know, stays with you, that, oh, you never cry, even mm-hmm. if you're really, really sad. But sometimes you, you do cry because, you know, over there it's a different culture. You get sick and then everybody's like, oh, your cousin's called, come, and your mom, and, and then you get sick here. And there's no one. You yeah. call 911 and somebody comes and picks you up because it's their duty, not because they really care about you. Yeah. Because they have to do it. They get paid to do that. Emotions are the things that you miss when you go to another country. I'm happy that I went to Iowa. If I didn't go to Iowa and study, I wouldn't learn about Midwest. Things are a little bit different over there. People are... Not that people are not nice here. They are nice here too, but people are way nicer over there. It's slow pace. The corn is really good in in Iowa. And they have Iowa State Fair and Iowa caucuses. I always tell my wife that maybe when we retire, we should go back to Iowa. <laughs> She's like, no, we're going to go to Florida. So I'm going to give you... I've you can start signing time. because okay. there are so many pages that you have to sign. Okay. I have to change your entire identity. <laughs> How would you describe your sexuality? Oh, um, that's a great question. Queer to like people I haven't really met yet. Really fucking gay to everyone else who knows me. <laughs> <laughs> well, first, can you formally introduce yourself? Who are you? Sure. My name's Teddy Letterer. I am a 24-year-old resident of Washington, D.C. Moved here two years ago from California. I dream every night of owning a dog and an avocado tree. And You're in the wrong state. I'm in the wrong state. It's rough. I think about it every morning when I wake up when I don't have an avocado tree where I'm just like... Did I make a mistake? Well, me coming out was a really slow, gradual process. And I actually fought it for a really long time. I had a lot of internalized homophobia and a lot of like, I can't possibly be gay. That's not me. Like, love the gays. Gays are great. Good for them. That's not me. 
my dad tells this story of I'm eight years old and the Oscars are on and Julia Stiles comes out who was in the Prince and Me and I apparently had this like love struck face on her and I said I love her I want to be her and my dad's like that's kind of when I knew that you loved girls Wow. Um, Your dad perceived that when you were eight? Yeah. He's asked me numerous times throughout my childhood and early college career of, like, am I gay? And I always told him no. Really? Yeah. What did you think when he asked you that? Um, that I was just a really good ally to the gay community. Like, all my friends were gay. I had a lot of gay male friends. Um, I was, like, head of what was considered our GSA at high school. I was in the theater group in high school, so, like, all my friends turned out to be gay. <laughs> um, and that's kind of just what I thought, that because I hung out with them, that must mean that he thought I was. Um, in which he was, he was right. <laughs> I, you, didn't, you didn't think, like, wait, is he seeing something that I don't see? No, I was so blind to it all. I was so blind. I dated boys in high school, and I, I loved couple of the ones that I dated and I so when I finally fell in love with a girl I like thought I was bi um that I had loved men in the past and I was probably gonna love men in the future and that maybe this girl was even just kind of like I don't want to use the word mistake but like a a test an anomaly an anomaly yeah um when was that that was sophomore year of college so I was 19 by the fine by the time I like finally figured out that girls were great I mean, there was a long time. There was, I guess, I mean, three years where I dated the same exact... For every girl I dated, I dated a guy. And it was, like, back and forth like that. And so there was almost always an equal number of how many men and how many women I had slept with. This was in college? This was in college. Like I said, it was such a gradual process. And so, yeah, for a long time, I felt invisible to the community. And also, San Francisco, while, like, everyone considers it the gay mecca, is very much the gay mecca for white middle to upper class gay men anyone else is not really included in that um and especially identifying as bi in the gay community is i mean you're getting it from both sides the straight people don't believe you and the gay people don't believe you they're like you there's only one thing you're being selfish you're being promiscuous you're lying to yourself you're lying to your partner whatever 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 and then i moved to dc but my New Year's resolution for 2015 was no cis men 2K15. And that's when I cut off my hair. It's when I started dressing a little bit more masculine. Did you keep your resolution? I did. Well, <laughs> there, was a, uh, there was a slight mistake. I think it was in February of that year with a makeout of the black cat. But I didn't. Dance floor makeout? Dan- well, up against a pool table makeout. Ooh, yeah, hot. slightly. I didn't. I didn't know I was flirting with it. It was a little bit like very drunk. We left in separate cabs. <laughs> <coughs> Got it. Yeah, I haven't seen him since. <laughs> <laughs> so, you when did you cut off your hair? I cut off my hair actually. In, so in June of 2015. Oh. Yeah. So I still had long hair when I made out with that boy. Do you think he would have made out with you if you had cut your hair off? No. No. I, it's been amazing. When I had long hair, I was catcalled pretty much like every day walking to and from work. I mean, like it was just constant. And I mean, it was, it was beautiful and long and wavy and I loved my hair. And blonde, right, right? I was blonde. I was, yeah. Well, yeah, my hair just gets super easily bleached by the sun. So 
the longer it got, the blonder it got. Yeah, and then I cut off all my hair, and the male attention dropped dramatically, like, the day of. And, like, at first, for the first week, I thought I made this huge mistake, that I thought that, like, I... I had, well, so when I say I cut off my hair, right, I had 10 and a half inches. I mean, it was like down past, I mean, it was way past my shoulders. Uh-huh. And I, I mean, I used my hair kind of as like a hiding tool too. And also as a way to like present femme and like keep this like part of my identity too. And I always, and also like to kind of pass as straight sometimes. If I felt like I needed to, I could pass as straight and it was a safety measure. And so cutting off my hair really meant letting go of all of that. What were you thinking when you sat in the barber's chair? Mm. I was thinking, I had my one of my best friends from D.C. here. His name's Justin. He's this gay boy. Um, and I brought him with me to do this. Mm-hmm. And this the place I got my hair cut is called, it's a terrible name, but it's called Eastern Confederate. It's in Mount Pleasant. But they give you beer. They give you free beer before your hair cut. Really? Yeah, I highly recommend them. So they give you a beer. So I'm sitting there with my like natty bow and I'm just like gripping this beer can. And I'm like thinking like, if I don't like it, I can just always grow it out, right? Like it's going to go through a mullet stage. It'll be fine. <laughs> It'll be fine. I can just always grow it out if I want to. She, so she put all of my hair in this ponytail and then just cut it off and then gave me the ponytail. Cause I told like I was going to, I was donating it to Lock of Love. Like I had enough hair. Yeah. And oh, man, she, that's kind of traumatic. It's like, here's your extra limb. Yeah, and I was, I was like looking at this and being like, okay, so there goes like all of my femininity. And this, I remember Liz cutting off my hair and she was like talking about like the little sideburns that people have. And she's like, do you want me to keep those? Like I know it can make it look a little bit more feminine if that's what you're going for. Or I can cut them and it can be a little bit more masculine. Like how are you trying to present? And by that point I was like, I don't care what you do. <laughs> like keep them, don't keep them. My entire life has changed at this point. For the first week, I thought I had made this huge mistake. Why? Because I wasn't getting getting the same male attention, and I hadn't felt comfortable with it yet. I didn't really know how to style it. I was still trying to part it down the middle, which was not a good look. And then for the first like week, every time I looked in the mirror, I just didn't know what was going on. Every time I took a shower, I would put three times the amount of shampoo I needed in my hand, <laughs> just like out of habit. Yeah. There's just... There's a part of me that's missing. Um, and then I got a lot more attention from girls. And that helped a lot. And I started feeling like I learned how to style my hair. And that helped a lot. And I started just feeling more and more. I realized I stopped wearing dresses pretty soon after I cut my hair. Like I no longer felt comfortable in dresses. And I felt a lot more comfortable in like dress shirts and button downs and dark jeans. And like presenting a little bit more masculine. And the look has seemed to work for me. I feel really comfortable in it. Do you feel more like you now that now that you appear gay? Yes, I do. I feel like I'm no longer hiding anything. I feel like I can... I never thought that this was going to be something I liked about myself, but the fact that I can like immediately be read as gay walking down the street has been so freeing. It's been wonderful. DC... DC has been such a home to me because of the friends I've made here and because of the community I found here and a lot of them are queer but it's also like just the wonderful people that I've managed to like bring into my life and who want me in theirs I sometimes I mean like I said I I sometimes 
dream of owning an avocado tree and living by the beach and having 12 dogs and you really can't do that in DC. And I, I think about the fact that I'm a capable person and I could move to California back when anytime I want to, but then I remember like how much I love people here and how lucky I am to be here and like how much this is a home to me now. And it makes up for the fact that I can't have an avocado tree. <laughs> That's it for this week, guys. Before I go, I have to ask, and then I'm going to stop harping on this cool thing. Where have all the cool kids gone? As an adult, I don't think I've met a single person who claims to have been cool in middle school, which either means that they've all lined up and trekked off someplace cooler that the rest of us don't know about, or it's so uncool to admit now that you were cool back then that nobody wants to, or that it was all an illusion. There were no cool kids, and even the kids we thought were cool didn't think they were. If you were a fabled cool kid, I want to know, what was it like to be cool in middle school, and what has become of you since? Email me, or send me a voice memo. New York listeners, next week I'm going to be in New York City for the Work It conference at WNYC. Drop me a line on Twitter. I would love to see you guys when I'm there. Your Story Here is produced and distributed by Goat Rodeo in Washington, D.C. You can find shows like this one and more at GoatRodeoDC.com and by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at GoatRodeoDC. Special thanks this week to Kathleen, Joy, Esmeré, and Teddy. And, by the way, if you want to see pictures of Teddy before and after her haircut, you can find them on Twitter at YourStoryHereDC. Thanks, as always, to my tall, talented, mildly insulting younger brother, Tom Peabody, for the original music, and of course, to all of you for listening. I'm Lizzie Peabody, and this is your story here. Keep an ear out for us. Oh, you're the least cool person I know. Yeah. <laughs> like, you are currently wearing a uh, VIP badge on your jorts. I, uh... <laughs> We are jorts. Yeah. Yes. Like, <laughs> like they're not cut off jorts, but yeah. they're still jorts. Yeah. Well, everyone wears jean shorts. I don't. All right. Well, the least cool person you know. That means I'm less cool than. And now it's yep. Yep. We're just gonna leave that blank, and we can fill it in later. I don't think it should be too hard. Okay.